politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property from all threats, domestic and foreign. And really, folks, that threat is more prominently displayed domestically within. It is internal. It is among our own people. Unlike in 1776, it is among our own generation. The younger the American people get, the more maniacal, the more pro-mask, pro-Hamas, pro-transgenderism they get. Where do we go? Where do we go from here with a generation and education system like this? Folks here, and by the way, it is Tuesday, the 24th of October. This is why we are commencing a new day, a new time here at The Blaze. I'd like to welcome you guys to the new Blaze, theblaze.com. It's really a website that's now befitting of serious commentary that I've been dreaming of for a long time. We have scrubbed all ads. There are no ads. We're going completely to subscription model. And the reason is this. If if you noticed that any content I've had over the last few years on COVID had to go to the CR website, it couldn't go to the Blaze website because we'd be penalized. Now, how would they know what we're putting up there? How could they ding it so quickly? And basically, the way it works is Google has these crawlers that they put inside of the ads that you apply for. And, and, and the ads are really what makes you the money. Makes the website horrible. But that's how anyone like us could, could stay in business. And that's how they track the content. We've decided to take the plunge. And even though we're going to lose a lot of money from it, make it completely of, by, and for the people, for you, um, you know, and that's why I'll be supported exclusively by our base without any foreign influence, and that is why we don't have to worry about censor- censorship anymore. It's always been a dream of our executive management here, and it's really a new day. Again, at theblaze.com, make sure you subscribe, because folks, we need to educate What you see now is a dearth of knowledge. We have the overwhelming majority of people, I'd say below 25, but it's really even below 40. It just gets worse by year. And God help us what the next generation will look like. Again, these are people who believe a man is a woman, a criminal is a victim, a terrorist is a freedom fighter. Um, An androgynous generation that will never be capable of starting a family. We have lost our core values. This is the theme we've been talking about the last couple of days. And I want, I want to get through some of this polling data we started yesterday. And I want to continue it. But then also, it's it's filtering over to our side too. Young so-called right-wingers are also increasingly secular, increasingly confused, increasingly reactionary. And we have no vision. We have no vision. So I want to go through a lot of this, um, you know, some of the polling data and then some of the news we see, obviously rampant, violent pro-Hamas demonstrations all over the place, mixed in with Muslim immigrants, mixed in with native-born American leftists. And we now have the motorist attacks. It's literally BLM all over again. The BLM generation 
is now celebrating, protesting on behalf of the massacre of Jews, the greatest massacre since the Holocaust. Not only is there no sympathy, but they're actually viciously and violently opposed to the Jewish state defending itself because they want more of this. So now you have all sorts of people, doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or not, but you're caught up in an urban area now. You might be caught up in a place like Minneapolis where your car gets mobbed. Like this old individual, this elderly individual, um, who was swarmed by a Hamas group of protesters. This is what happens when you bring in tens of thousands of Somalis to the area, flying Hamas flags, and they'll just surround your car, drag you out, and beat you. Where does that lead? Where does that leave us? You know, an interesting thought crossed my mind. How a lot of people don't know this. I found this out a couple years ago. The popular navigation app Waze, W-A-Z-E, it was developed by Israelis. Why? Why was it developed? Because Israelis would have a problem if they, you know, it's a small country of Arab areas. If they go the wrong direction, they find themselves in an Arab village. They'll surround them and lynch them. This happened a number number of times, and that's why they created this navigation app. Again, like everything else, we now have that in our own country. If you wind up in the wrong place, we saw this with BLM Antifa, and now we have a rerun with Hamas. That's the new current thing for Gen Z, but mixed in with all these terrorist uh, immigrants, and that's who they are. They're a bunch of terrorists that we let in. You could find yourself lynched. We have this uh, Christian supporter of Israel beaten on camera in uh, Chicago. Folks, we've got a big problem. We've got a very big problem. We need our own enclaves. We need our own citizen posses. We need to defend ourselves. This thing is going down. And so that's why I just, you know, another public service announcement as well. There's still plenty of time to register and book your ticket to Fredericksburg, Texas for the week of December 18th, right before Christmas, for our next constitutional defense course hosted by America's Constitution Coach Rick Rick Green of Patriot Academy. I will be there uh, for at least three of the days. The best handgun defensive training you'll ever get, how to draw from a holster, uh, combat readiness, combat mindset, uh, clear malfunctions, and keep your calm cool during a gunfight. This is really serious. I mean, (laughs) between all of the threats we face, you are more likely to be confronted with this decision to pull your gun than ever before. So again, a lot of people own guns. Some people even carry. How many could actually defend themselves? Very few people. So join us at patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Uh, There still is space there. If, especially for you guys who live in Texas, you know, Central Texas, it's right there. Beautiful Texas hill country. Great weather that time of year. Might be a little cool, but not too cold uh, like it is in most parts of the country. So uh, now is the time to hone in on your handgun skills and your safety awareness and meet yours truly and other patriots in this office, in, in this audience at patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So we have... This new poll, actually there's several polls, but there's a Harvard-Harris poll showing the generational decline of this country 
vis-a-vis Israel and Hamas and the so-called Palestinians. And again, this issue, like I said yesterday, is the Rosetta Stone of morality because it ties into your understanding of history, your understanding of the, your or belief in religion in the Bible, and then your affirmation of good and evil, right and wrong. And that's why everything flows from there. When you look at the straight line decline in support for Israel by generation. So it tracks with the transgenderism. It tracks with the multiculti. It tracks with the broken education system. It tracks with the support for you know, masks and the support for global warming, all that stuff. Because there's one common thread. We have a generation that will believe everything they see in their new Bible, which is their iPhone. And their church is university. That's what we replaced our country with. That's why these people believed. And, 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 and the thing is this. They believe that if you don't toe the line, you deserve to die. It, it's funny. On some level, our own education system is not unlike Gaza's Hamas education system. Where you just rear an entire generation of people to be a bunch of violent animals. Or doped up in our case. So, I mean, these were people that believed if you didn't wear a mask, you deserve to die. If you didn't get a shot, you, you don't deserve human rights. And largely, it's a generation where a quarter of them don't even believe that their penis or female anatomy is real. So, you know, this is the next current thing. They believe the lies about COVID being used to control our bodies. They believe the lies about George Floyd being used to criminalize whites and police work. They believe the lies of January 6th used to create the Reichstag moment to criminalize political dissent. In each instance, the young generation believed the lying narrative put out strategically hook, line, and sinker. And then subscribe to authoritarian policy prescription that was always carefully prepared and pre-designed to be shunted upon us in the wake of those events. And they believed it with a degree of zeal that is only matched by the zeal of jihad itself. And now comes their support for that very jihad. We talked about yesterday the signal, um, the the the, the signal. Uh, C-Y-G-N-A-L poll, 57% of American Muslims believe the Hamas massacre was justified. 57%. Um, when you look at polling data on whether they support Hamas. So Harvard-Harris shows American Muslims believe in Hamas, uh, like a plurality support Hamas meaning more support Hamas than don't, others aren't sure or you know, don't have an opinion. But um, we got a big problem. But we have an even bigger problem because it's not just American Muslims which support this stuff. Now, some of it is mixed in because the younger generation increasingly is so influenced by immigration. It's a mixture of immigration education, secularism, all of it put together, meaning one exacerbates the other because 
I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do know if you go to children under five, it might be even older than that, but certainly as you go on, the majority of kids born in this country are born to immigrants, non-Native Americans. There's nothing wrong with being an immigrant. Most of us were at some point. But it's a measure of how quickly you are interrupting the continuity of tradition handed down from one American generation to another. And that tradition is important because even in my young lifetime, we've seen, you know, as recently as two decades ago, you would pull things like Israel or you pull things like, you know, anything else, socialism or whatever, and there is a distinct gulf between American sentiment and European or Canadian, Australian, any other area in the Western world. We had a certain tradition of republicanism, of liberty, of Judeo-Christian values, and that is gone, and it's often obfuscated by top-line numbers and polls because it's still driven by older Americans, maybe older than 50 or maybe older than 40, but then it rapidly, rapidly decelerates. So some of that, again, is immigration, mixed in whether it's Islamic immigration or just in general people coming from all sorts of third-world places with no sort of understanding of our values and in, in such large numbers downright becoming a majority, literally a majority of the new generation. And then obviously that in itself has influence on the non-immigrant Americans, but you know, divorced from that, it's also the education system. So this is Harvard-Harris poll. Some of you might have seen it. When asked... And again, this is not, do you think there's something called Palestine? Do you think they own the land? This is straight up. Was Hamas justified in killing over 1,200 Israeli civilians because of its grievances? So 76% believe that it was not justified. And I think, all right, you know, that's, 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 that's good. But it's shocking how, remember, this is not a poll of Pakistan or Egypt. This is a poll of America. Where are those 24%? Here's the thing. Among those 65 and older, 91% say non, not justified. And that's what you would expect across the spectrum of age. 55 to 64, it drops to 89. Okay, so almost the same. 45 to 54, it already has you know, already a noticeable drop to 77, but still, all right, most people are sane. Then you go to 35 to, 45, to, 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 to 44, and it just crumbles. 61. 25 to 34, just 52. So it's almost even 52% justified. 48% say that, uh, or not justified, 48% say Hamas is justified. And then for 18 to 24, it flips to a downright majority, 51% say Hamas is justified. It's not like, again, it's not even their their cause. You know, the, the Palestinian state nonsense. No, this is straight up what they did. And 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 I, wa- I want to just... um play here uh where is this we got about a minute and 20 seconds here of an israeli rescue worker discussing what he saw hamas did in these communities when they took it over take a listen right here as a first responder to this what was done to these people of southern israel well i don't want to get people scared from the from what i'm saying but uh, i saw uh, beheaded bodies i saw body parts uh, there is one one of my friend who was in Kfaraza. he told me that he find in one house um, a husband and wife and two children they killed the husband first 
They took his eyes out. I saw the body by myself. They took the eyes out and they cut the breast of the woman and they, sh uh, they cut the leg of the, ch of the girl. That's the family that I saw with my own eyes. Moshe, thank you for providing these details. It's so important that people remember what happened here. The atrocities and, and the massacre that took place in southern Israel. You're hearing from a first-hand source, not from reports or, or from what people say, this is what took place here, guys, and it, it just gives you a small piece of the massacre that took place on October 7th. Trey, Back when, to you. You, when you hear a story like that, the brutality, how do the people in Gaza, how do they feel about Hamas? All right, so you heard that. Hamas gouged out a man's eyes, cut off his wife's breast, chopped their daughter's leg off, put it on the table. That is supported by 51% of 18 to 24 year olds and based on the trajectory again it's only going to get worse over time we got a big big problem a very very big problem there i don't even know how you overcome that we could talk about security measures and you know citizens posses but i don't know how you how you deal with that problem within but that is all because a lack of knowledge ignorance utter ignorance Again, these are the same people who believe the blood libel against whites with George Floyd. But, I mean, this, this is even more shocking because on the surface, the imagery had the violence against Floyd. They didn't see the full picture, but it looked like he had his knee and was on his neck and was choking him out. Here, the imagery is the opposite. It's Israel, if anything, is the George Floyd with respect to the perception of these people, or should be. And the focus is completely, it's like it never happened. So Israel gets crushed, and now this generation supports more violence against it. And, and this is the power of the lies. So the, the next question I said, there's a whole bunch of questions there from, from uh, Harvard Harris. Given that U.S. intelligence and Israeli intelligence have said and shown evidence that the hospital explosion was caused by an off-course terrorist rocket, do you think the explosion was caused by an Israeli airstrike or by a terrorist rocket that went off? So it was even a leading loaded question. It wasn't like, hey, you know, the Gaza hospital blew up. Whose fault is it? They actually said, look, Israeli and American intel say this would happen. So 90% of seniors say it was the terrorist fault. 81% of 55 to 64, 69% 45 to 54. But again, you drop to 35 to 44-year-olds, it goes down to 47, meaning a majority, 53%, say it was caused by Israel. <laughs> Literally just fabricated, not true. It's like safe and effective. The vaccines, January 6th, Floyd, nothing matters. You go down to 25 to 34, it's 56, 44, believe it was caused by Israel, and 18 to 24-year-olds, 61 to 39% supermajority believe a fabricated thing, even after the pollster said, you know, what the truth was. I mean, again, like, there's a heck of a lot of Muslims and other third-worlders we, we've let in but that doesn't account for the you know full 61% of the 18 to 24-year-old bracket. Next thing, do you think Hamas is trying to make peace with Israel or is Hamas trying to destroy Israel? 
<laughs> so 96% of those, l- look at this dichotomy. 96% of those above 65 say that, you know, um, Hamas is trying to destroy Israel. I mean, in a sane world, we would question those 4%. For 55 to 64, it goes down to 90. 45 to 54 goes down to 79. 35 to 44 goes down to 61. And eventually, for those, both 18 to 24 and 25 to 34, so anyone under 35, it was pretty close, like 57, 47% say Hamas is trying to destroy Israel. But 43% say they're just trying to make peace. War is peace, and peace is war, my friends. Again, I mean, this, this, this jives with the findings of a CNN poll taken immediately after the Hamas massacre before Israel even did anything that found that just 27% of Gen Z felt Israel's military actions were justified as compared to 81% of seniors. We have a really, really big problem here. I don't know what to say. You know, you now have 1,700, 1,700 sociology professors in the U.S. who signed the joint letter accusing Israel of genocide and saying Hamas's terror must be contextualized as a response to 75 years of settler colonial occupation and European empire. Again, so you have a generation that is ignorant as anything. This is our Hosea chapter 4 moment. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy controversy with the inhabitants of the land. For there is neither truth nor loving kindness nor knowledge of God in the land. No truth, no loving kindness, and no knowledge of God. That is what we suffer from. They're swearing and lying and killing and stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds, and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and all that dwell therein shall be cut off along with the beasts of the field and the fowl of the heavens. Surely let no man strive and let no man reprove, for your people are like them who strive with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the daytime, and the prophet that is with you shall also stumble with you in the night, and I will silence your mother. My people were silenced for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you from being a priest to me. Seeing that you have forgotten the Torah, the law of your the law of your God, I too will forget your children. Again, it, it, you look at the sliding scale by age. It's a dearth of knowledge, it's a dearth of values, it's a dearth of God in their lives, and I don't know how you recover from that. This is a very deep issue. Now, obviously, we're funding to the tune of 1.8 trillion student loans to fund these institutions. We talked about the steps that Florida has been taking with the University of Florida. Every red state public university, it should downright be conservative. We should be cleaning that out. But, of course, we don't desire to survive. I don't know how we overcome that. But I'll tell you this much. We can't have ignorance on our own side among our own youth that's becoming increasingly secular. And that's what I want to get to in a moment. First, our our final sponsor today is the Wellness Company. Well, the more Gen Z believes in this crap, the more they're going to go on to the next current thing. And what if the next current thing is another pandemic, supply chain shortages, medical emergencies, natural disasters, you name it, and you'll be left without antibiotics, antivirals. We have the shortages. We have the 
Fourth Reich bans on certain medicines that's still going on, by the way, in, in pharmacies. The wellness company, uh, co-founded by our friend Dr. Peter McCullough, is this parallel healthcare system we've all been dreaming of. They have telehealth, but they also have, finally, a way for you to take back control of your health with their packet, their medical emergency kit of antivirals, antibiotics, and antiparasitics that, yes, it does have ivermectin in it for those of you looking go to twc.health slash daniel and grab your medical emergency kit today you put in offer code daniel for 10 percent off at checkout that's twc.health slash daniel offer code daniel at checkout so we also have this problem of you know ignorance on the right Tucker and, P and Vivek Ramaswampy and people following them, again, in this reactionary thing to a handful of neocons that are calling for invading Iran, they're like, they're pressuring Israel that Israel is not allowed to, I, I would say, defend itself. They're not even up to retribution. I mean, as we speak, they're being, there's a barrage of rockets over every inch of their territory. They have their... Areas near the Gaza border evacuated, areas near their northern border evacuated. It's a tiny country. And evidently, those Auschwitz borders are too big for some people. And they're like, we need to avoid war with Iran. And like, I, well, no one's asking for war with Iran. But Tucker basically said yesterday that Biden is trying to get us into a war with Iran. See, this is where there's a lack of knowledge. If, if you support Biden's policies, that's fine. You know, you could have a situation where on foreign policy, you kind of support the same things for different reasons, and that's fine. But don't lie and mislead people, Tucker, and say Biden is trying to make war. Biden is allying with Iran so much that even after the massacre, here's, a, here's what we know so far the Biden admin has done. They said there is no direct evidence of Iranian involvement, even though the New York Times and Wall Street Journal reported exactly how they were involved. Israel begged Biden to admit that Iran was part of it, and Biden refused. Then the Biden admin backed down from their promise to freeze the $6 billion Iranian assets. They refused to ask Qatar um, to hand over the Hamas leaders. They forced Israel to give up maritime rights to Hezbollah. I mean, that was a few months before in that border deal. They're continuing to fund Hezbollah, continuing to fund Hamas, continuing to fund the PLO in the so-called West Bank. Biden demanded that Israel not attack Hezbollah. In other words, nobody, including Israel, wants a war on their northern front, but they already have it. They're already firing rockets. Now, just like Israel did in the Six-Day War, if you are at war you want to, or, or in a state of low-intensity war, you want to reserve the right to define it on your terms and potentially preemptively attack. Biden made it clear when he was there that Israel cannot do that, and 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 all support will be tied to that. Um, then Biden said occupying Gaza is a big mistake, which is the only way they could ever live, is they're going to have to permanently take that back. Um, Blinken conditioned all aid to guaranteeing humanitarian aid to Gaza, which is, again, the, the only way Israel could win is by placing a siege on Gaza. Literally, shutting off the water, the electricity, that is the only way to do it. Um, you have no idea. Going in there, I mean, it looks like Biden won't even let them, but going in there is like 
Fallujah and Ramadi times a bigger landscape. And they had a lot more time and money, courtesy of your taxpayer dollars, to prepare all their tunnels and everything like that. that, that that's a very, very difficult fight. And that's without Hezbollah in the north. And Tucker is saying that Biden wants war with Iran? No. Biden is destroying Israel. And we're not asking for war with Iran. We're just asking to stop funding those policies. Stop placing our troops there. Meaning if you want to attack Biden, attack him for sending our aircraft carriers there and keeping our troops there. It's just so much ignorance. So much utter ignorance. Listen to, here's about, let's let's play a, a minute 40 clip of DeSantis. He strikes the perfect balance on Israel. Take a listen here. I don't think in Israel, I think we just need to be supportive of them uh, publicly. I think privately we want to say, do what you got to do. Yes, whatever ongoing military support we have with Iron Dome and all that, we should continue that. But I don't think it's going to be a situation where America is going to need to take a, a lead in that. I don't think we, we should. I don't well, think it's our may, war. May I, I do may think I, it's I, Israel's I, war. I, I would, yeah, uh, let, me, let me ask you. So Hezbollah in the north, Lebanon, decides to get involved because they see damage being done done to Hamas or wiping out Hamas. Would, is there a moment where the United States says, yes, we're, we're entering this theater on a more, you know, more kinetic level? You know, look, I, I think Israel, uh, they're capable of handling uh, Hezbollah as well. I mean, Hezbollah, you know, they, they do pack some firepower, but I think this is something that Israel, they got a massive military. They've called up all their reserves. Uh, I think they would be able to handle it. So we would support them in that if it needed to be. But I don't anticipate it would be something that would draw the United States in. I think that we have to be careful about getting enmeshed uh, in a war in the Middle East, partially because China is really going to take advantage advantage of this situation and you just find yourself 33 trillion dollars in debt as it is a very weakened defense industrial base of course a president that's not leading on anything uh, and that is an invitation uh, for for Chinese aggression so so I do I do agree we got to be careful um, about how that plays out but I do think Israel is is capable of defending itself the way it needs to in this situation without needlessly provoking some type of wider war okay folks so you, you heard that. It's unequivocally support them morally, whatever you need. Leave us out there. We don't want to get involved in anything, and that's it. But what we can't do is say Israel must commit suicide because we're scared that Israel, that might cause us problems. Well, why should it cause us problems? We shouldn't be there anyway. Again, a minimalist non-interventionist approach, but not allying with Iran, making the right alliances. It's not neocon, but it's not pacifist. It's not leftist. Tucker is siding with the left. Vivek is siding with the left. Tucker and Vivek are siding with the new current thing. They're siding with the ultimate geopolitical George Floyd BLM. God doesn't want that bullcrap from you. I'm sorry. Just utter ignorance this is what we have this is what Europe has they have a secular left and they have a secular right and that's what we're going to be left with reactionary, secular, no values and this is just utter utter chaos but I want to take this to the next level 
and get an update on a particular way that Biden and the neocons are screwing Israel and certainly the U.S., and that is the involvement of our troops in Syria and Iraq. So, folks, when I saw this news trickle out last week, how we had attacks on six, seven bases in Syria and Iraq, I was thinking, I didn't even realize we had that many troops there. Then I saw our embassies being surrounded, you know, by all of our friends, the people we fought for in Beirut, in Baghdad. And I was thinking, why are we building billion-dollar embassies so we then stick our neck into a septic tank of five-way Islamic civil wars so that now everything that happens, we're in a precarious situation, we get harmed, and as I've been noting all week, it harms Israel as well. A lot of these, you know, Lindsey Graham, Nikki Haley types that have been so favorably disposed towards getting involved that you got to defeat Saddam Hussein, then you got to defeat the Sunni insurgency, ISIS on behalf of Iran. Oh, but Iran is also a problem, but then we just help them. We're screwing Israel. We're strengthening Iran's hegemony around them. We are uh, also, you know, our troops are there. So now it's like, Israel, you have to eat a massacre of the equivalent of 40,000 Americans while they're still lobbying rockets at you every day, and you're kind of out of luck, buddy, because we don't want our bases in Iraq and Syria to be attacked uh, because, you know, Iran might might retaliate. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why are we there to begin with? So I, I was seeing an old ally of mine make some of these points on Twitter. Dan Caldwell is with us today. He's VP at the Center for Renewing America that's uh, run by our friend Russ Vogt. Uh, he's worked at a house sta- as a ha- house staffer for man- many years. Uh, was formerly with Concerned Veterans for America, and more importantly, he served in the Marine Corps during a very hot time in Iraq. Uh, you know, during the so-called surge of our troops and d- the the counter uh, insurgency to the uh, Sunni violence, which in retrospect really protected the Shias, and he served in on some of these bases itself. And I figured I would get his perspective, but I want you guys to follow him at Dane Caldwell, very simple, Dane Caldwell on Twitter uh, to get his unique perspective, but important one, and he's with us in the flesh today. Hey, Dan, welcome back to Blaze Media. It's been ages. Well, Daniel, thanks for having me on again. Yep, it has been a long time. You're, You're an old guest, and could you explain, am I making this overly simple, Aren't we in Syria and Iraq to basically protect the Shiite-backed government and their allies from the Sunni insurgency? And then while we're doing that, the Shiites are attacking us? Uh, In Iraq specifically, that is essentially what we are doing. Now, what government officials from the permanent national security bureaucracy, whether it's the high-ranking uniformed military officers, uh, who run the Iraq, mil- Iraq and Syria military mission, which is called Operation Inherent Resolve, or the State Department people that, that float in and out of the embassy, what they will tell you is, is that our official mission in both Iraq and Syria is still what they call the enduring defeat of ISIS. Now, if you ask them <laughs> to define that, they can't actually do it. 
But there's, there is essentially two real reasons why we're there, and they're, they're kind of conflicting. Uh, but the, the uh, supporters of staying in Iraq and Syria won't ever really say these things out loud. The first is, is that there's still this delusional hope that somehow we can salvage mm. something good out of Iraq and Syria. That in Iraq, that, that somehow we can turn the government away from being an Iranian proxy and that it can still once again become a liberal democracy. Now, everybody with a functioning brain knows that isn't going to happen, but you still have a lot of people here in Northwest D.C. in the think tank community which supported the Iraq war, which supported getting involved in Syria and arming the so-called Syrian uh, moderate rebels, who, by the way, I just have to point out, were allied with Hamas, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, who, who have advocated staying there indefinitely. The other reason, and this is mainly supported by the worst of the worst neocons, the John Boltons of the world, is that essentially they want a small American force spread out in these small bases across Iraq and Syria to essentially serve as a tripwire for a larger war with Iran, is that they want one of these attacks to become a mass casualty event and give justification for starting a major war with Iran. And it's absolutely ghoulish. It's, it's, if you were actually serious about like countering Iran, you wouldn't want to do that. But that is essentially what they want. And, and so where we wind up is, is we wind up in the situation within Iraq in particular, where we are spending most of our energy and resources training the Iraqi security forces, which are allied with and support the very same Iranian-backed militias that are attacking our troops at bases like al-Assad, where I spent some time, and then all our little fire bases in eastern Syria. So it's an absolutely insane mission. We are, are literally supporting the people that are trying to kill us. And <laughs> we are staying there because of this bureaucratic paralysis, inertia, whatever term you want to use. But it, it, is, it is absolutely criminal. And, and, and I just have to say, too, like from a purely – um, legal perspective, our mission there is, is, I think it's easy to say illegal. It's currently being justified in a 2001 authorization for use of military force, which is passed right after 9-11 to authorize military actions in Afghanistan against the Taliban. And it is being used to justify a military mission against groups that didn't even exist by 9-11. <laughs> and so it, it's, 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 it's hard to go into how absolutely insane it is. And just Real quick, one, one thing regarding Syria is that in Syria, one justification you hear in addition to we need to ensure the enduring defeat of ISIS, and you also will hear people say, well, we need to counter Russia and counter Iran, is we need to protect the Kurds in Syria. Well, I think it's important to remind people that the Kurds in Syria are communists. They practice this weird anarcho-capitalist system of government. You had Antifa here in the United States send dozens of people to fight with the Syrian Kurds because they had a shared ideology. And they actually don't get along with the Iraqi Kurds in northern Iraq yes. because they don't share their ideology. So we are, are, are not only, you know, putting our troops at risk in pursuit of these delusional nation building goals, but we're also putting them at risk to protect a bunch of literal communists who are so popular among the, le the hard left here in the United States that many of them actually travel there to fight with these people. It, it is 
so hard to put into words how insane <laughs> and counterproductive and absolutely dangerous our continued presence in Iraq and Syria and, 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 is. And that's my concern that because the neocons and, and, and really it's everyone, it's them, but then both Republican and Democrat administrations continue this. Um, Trump cleaned up a lot of the problems from Obama, but unfortunately, in, in other words, you, you see with the alliances against Iran rather than having, you know, Iranian hegemony isolate Israel, which is the Obama-Biden thing, you know, Trump created the Abraham Accords. But the problem was his blind spot was he had this singular focus on defeat ISIS. And the way I always explained it back when this was an issue from 2014, 2017, you have a septic tank and you have five different players in, in that septic tank. And you got like you, you have Assad and Iran, Hezbollah, Al Nusra, um, ISIS. You have all these Shiite militias, and then like you said, you have the Syrian Kurds who aren't you know like the Iraqi Kurds that traditionally we've we've allied with. You don't. The last thing you do is stick your neck in that septic tank, or or you don't say you don't point to one of the five. That one's got to go. What you do is you create a perimeter. You define your your your. What, what is your mission? Define your assets you need to protect against any one of those things. Make the right alliances. You don't stick people on the ground. You don't get involved in that. And you root for a 50-50. Isn't it true that what we ultimately did, starting under Obama, but in this respect continue under Trump, where we just singularly focused on ISIS, didn't we essentially serve as the Shiite Air Force we gave Iran Iraq, which we were on our way to doing before ISIS. We gave Hezbollah full control in Syria and Lebanon. We had special ops on the ground in Lebanon arming and fighting for Hezbollah. No, I'm sorry, the Lebanese armed forces, but you get the drift. And then now we complain that Iran is so strong and Israel's kind of screwed from, from all of Iran's proxies. Isn't that a legacy of a myopic focus on ISIS? Yes, I, I think that, that this is an important point, and I, I'm glad you brought it up, is that the reality is, is that the remnants of ISIS, and they're not a significant threat to the United States in any meaningful way at the moment. They are scattered. There are a lot of people claiming to be ISIS are actually just common criminals and bandits trying to scare people and serve as smuggling or their, their other criminal enterprises. But the remnants of them pose a larger threat to Iran and their interests than to the United States. So to your point is that when we are, are subsidizing the ISIS fight, we are actually subsidizing Iran at this point. And here's, here's something else that's worth noting, too, is that there are a lot of Iranian-backed politicians in Iraq that want us to stay in Iraq. Mm. And the reason is, is one, we're fighting ISIS. And we're enabling Iran to free up resources that they'd have to devote to dealing with the ISIS threat that is, again, more of a, a challenge to them than us at the moment. But our presence in Iraq gives those politicians a scapegoat for all Iraq's problems. It's like, well, where government's corrupt, we can't provide you <laughs> power more than six hours a day. The Americans are still occupying us. It's this big American embassy. They're the, uh, they're the, the American occupation continues. And so we give them a boogeyman to point to and to direct the anger in the Iraqi street away from 
the uh, Iraqi kleptocracy, which is essentially controlled by um, Iran. And, and, and I just want to, you know, point out, you, you said that we served as essentially air force for Iran-backed Shia militias. That's 100% true. And during the height of the ISIS fight, uh, more so under Obama, less so under Trump, but it still happened to extent, was that the United States essentially was coordinating with the Quds Force. They said indirectly, so they, they let the Iraqi government know where they were bombing and the Iraqi government would give them coordinates back like you should bomb here. And essentially they were giving coordinates that were given to them in many cases by the Quds Force and the militias that they were doing. There were several times where Qasem Soleimani actually went into the American uh, uh, Joint Operations Center, was brought in there by Iraqi politicians uh, who were allied with him so that he could see what's going on. And American officers were very careful in how they engaged with him. But he essentially was an indirect ally in the, in the fight. Unbelievable. In addition, the guy that was killed with Soleimani, um, uh, Muhandis, um, was somebody who worked with the Americans in the early 2000s against the Mahdi Army, uh, which is Muqtada al-Sadr's group, um, who uh, militias were key fighters in the role to take back Mosul. So there's a history of indirect and direct co uh, uh, cooperation with these groups. And so it just hammers home how insane our policy is. That, and, and, you know, Daniel, you'll have a lot of people here not too far from me where I'm sitting in D.C. will we'll tell you, it's like, well, it's, it's complicated and there's a lot of nuance into it. And, and so there's not an easy answer here. They are right, it's complicated. And they are right, there's a lot of nuance to it. But the easy answer is, is there's no vital national interest at stake. Keeping American troops, thousands of American troops, spending $15 billion and risking a larger war, not just with Iran, but also Russia and Syria, um, is, is not in our interest. And the simple solution is, is they need to withdraw them. And, and this is something that, that everyone should support. If you're more hawkish than Iran and you think that there should be military actions taken against Iran directly, that's not something I support. But if you believe that, you wouldn't want troops spread out in isolated fire bases. If you support a more restrained foreign policy, that's what you should want. If you're more of a liberal internationalist who believes in the rules-based international order, yep. which really doesn't exist, but let's just say it does, you wouldn't want American troops propping up a, cor a corrupt, kleptocracy yes. that kills and tortures hundreds of its countries. So we need to get out and there's no time better than now to get out, especially with everything that that's going on in Israel and potentially in Lebanon as well, too. Yeah, because because that's what Biden did when he went to Israel and Blinken as well. They have made it very clear that they are there. People don't realize they think, oh, we're sending troops to help Israel. The aircraft carriers and our bases there around there, it's there to restrain them that you cannot do anything that will inflame the passions of the Arab street. And, and, and herein lies the problem. Many of us trying to give an affirmative vision of what a conservative foreign policy looks like. I think in many respects, we're starting to create that in the final two years of Trump. Um, you know, again, that ISIS thing was a little bit of a blinder, but I always felt that fundamentally no urban renewal projects. I opposed Iraq were early on, um, not in 2003, but early on I started to realize, I was like, wait a minute, we're fighting for Iran while Iranians are setting IEDs to kill our troops. And now they're still doing that. And then we're basically left with a situation where Iran was always the biggest problem. Relatively, it had the it had a nation state. 
It was backed by more resources. They were always a bigger problem globally. Hezbollah globally is potentially a bigger threat to us than any Sunni group would be, uh, given their reach in Latin America and the drug trade and everything. And and certainly Israel is it's all Iran that's that's you know there. We cleaned out the Sunnis for them and put Hezbollah right on their Syrian Golan border. So, you know, we're caught with this false dichotomy, right, where you have some of these kind of Lindsey Graham voices were like, let's do all the urban renewal projects. I hate Iran, but like like you said, but let's get involved. ISIS, well, you're you're helping Iran there. Um, and then let's divert money to Ukraine and lose. Yes, yes, yes. So then you have that's hypocritical. And then there's some people that just throw their hands up and like, I don't want war. I'm, I'm going to support the PLO. You know, I'm basically going to side with Hamas and create all this moral equivalence. This is the problem I see on the right right now, where we have an action-reaction without an affirmative vision. What's your sense of, of what we need to do to build an affirmative conservative vision on foreign policy? Well, this is something that, that I've been working on for a long time. It's something that the Center for Newing America has been working on. And I think that the foundation for uh, a conservative foreign policy should be realism first and foremost, and then restraint. So realism and restraint. But here's the important thing is realism always comes first because while I think the conditions of the world at the moment actually uh, enable the United States to pursue a more restrained foreign policy, there are times where conditions change and the United States does need to take more of a forward posture like during the Cold War. So that's why realism always needs to come first. And I think that's why that concept needs to be at the basis of every con- conservative foreign policy. And in regards to Israel, when you're looking at, at that situation, now there's a bunch of different realists. Some would, would, would I would say, um, caution a different approach than me, maybe more aggressive, maybe less aggressive. But I think that if you're looking at what our interests are in the Middle East, it's really two interests. Is first, we don't want to see a regional hegemon emerge. We're close to that with Iran because of our stupid decisions over the last 20 years, not just invading Iraq, but a lot of the stuff we did in Syria, arming so-called moderate Syrian rebels <laughs> that gave Iran more of a justification to get more involved in Syria. Um, you know, our, our kind of uh, a bipolar approach to a lot of the Gulf Arab states. Um, but, you know, we, right now, Iran has, doesn't have total hegemony in the region. Um, so we want to prevent that. And it's not just Iran. We also want to prevent a Sunni hegemon. And this goes all the way back to Kissinger and Nixon. Uh, and the second is, is that we don't want to see the sea lanes close uh, around the Persian Gulf. And really, um, there isn't a state right now, including Russia and China, that has the ability to do that. Now, in order to achieve those things, you do need balancing states in the region. And one of those mm. states that can help with that is Israel. And I think that that the United States has an interest in keeping Israel independent and and free. And the best way to do that is the way we've been doing it since 1973 and being their number one logistics provider and providing them intelligence, not getting directly involved, not having boots on the ground, which I would point out the Israelis don't want. There are some so-called supporters of Israel that are saying that we should be doing that. Israelis don't want that for a number of reasons. Um, and that we should also, you know, be providing them moral support as well, too. I also point this out is, is you know, I've been opposed to um, 
providing aid to Ukraine. And some would say it's like, well, why, Dan, why do you support supporting Israel um, as opposed to Ukraine? Well, again, Israel is more important to our overall strategy in the Middle East. Um, Ukraine is, is not as important, and they also have a bunch of wealthy uh, yep. uh, uh, states on their border that can support them. But the other thing, too, is the reality is, is Israel is a much more important economic partner these days for the United right. States than Ukraine is. Like, I think we're, on, we're approaching between 50 to $100 billion in terms of commerce between both nations. So I lay that all out from I think that realism would, 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 would caution us to support Israel as a logistics provider, but not start an, a, a major regional war by doing something stupid. We should pull back in other parts of the Middle East get our troops out of Iraq and Syria. Yep. I would go further and downgrade our presence in, in along the Persian Gulf yes. because they're easy targets for Iran. And, and um, Dan, we work well with strike and maneuver. What we don't work well with is sitting ducks, especially now that these cheap rented terror groups have all these um, you know, pretty relatively cheap technologies with these suicide drones, they could do a lot of damage to our sitting assets. And if you don't need them to be there, why be there? Like More than a supporter of Israel in the sense of giving them endless aid, I'm actually the opposite. I mean, I'm more like just unwind the Biden policies that affected them. In other words, you know, for I'm, I'm sure you know about this in, in Hezbollah, in, in the north with Hezbollah, we gave so many counter ter uh, terror counterintelligence assets to Lebanese armed forces that we actually helped them blind Israel's intelligence in Lebanon, which is why, to a certain extent, they missed this attack, which was planned in Lebanon. Um, if you just unwind those alliances and go back to the Trump-era alliances, they'd be a lot better off. I know there are some people on the right in, in Israel that actually do believe in winding down aid because it's become very abusive. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that because I'm just watching Biden. Oh, he'll give Israel endless money, He, but he'll give their enemies money and he'll tell Israel, um, hey, buddy, uh, um, no preemptive strike on Hezbollah. No, you're allowed to respond in Gaza, but here's the deal. You have to let in humanitarian aid and no, not too many civilian casualties. Um, so what the hell are they supposed to do? Yeah, I think, you know, you brought up Lebanon. I think that's what we're doing with the Lebanese armed forces is, again, and, and a lot of the engagement we have there in government is kind of a, a quasi-nation building uh, uh, endeavor, and it's been another failure. Um, in regards to Israel and the aid issues, is I agree with you. I, I don't want to see endless $10 billion a year aid. We're not giving that right now, but with the supplemental package being proposed, it could get to that and it could stay there for a number of years. Um, I think a lot of thoughtful people have, uh, who are very pro-Israel, like Jacob Siegel, somebody who I respect a lot at the tablet. He's also an Iraq vet like myself. He's proposed that, kind of articulated the same thing that, that you have. Yep. Even some, some super neocons like Elliot Abrams, I, I think he'd probably want to forget this piece at this point, but he advocated this, I think, all the way back in, in 2014. Wow. And, and I think that, that, that long-term in Israel's interest, it is in Israel's interest um, not to, you know, have so much of their security dependent on the United States. And that, I think, would counsel them to pursue some different policies. You know, one, one final thing I, I would want to say on this, dude, is go back to something you brought up about kind of these rent-to-terror groups and, and some of the technologies they have. Look, I, I think that Iran has been essentially giving these groups 
um, these technologies, not simply to pursue some of their goals in the region, but also as kind of like a test and learn how to fight the Americans. And I think that they've learned a lot from what's been happening in Ukraine with the drones that they've licensed to the Russians. And essentially what they would use these technologies for is to overwhelm our missile defense systems and our other point defense systems to the point where we just run out of ammunition, use a military term, we'd go Winchester. And then at that point, they use their higher tech precision munitions to absolutely devastate our bases and our naval assets in the Persian Gulf. I bring this up because I think it's important for, for people to know is that we are just absolutely not in a position to fight a major war with Iran. It's not a question of should, it's a question of can. And one of the, there's many, many reasons for this wearing down the military uh, after 20 years of war, not investing in the right systems, having the wrong posture in the Middle East. But one of the biggest reasons is, again, our support of Ukraine. And our support of Ukraine has also constrained our ability to give things to Israel, like yes. artillery shells and Patriot missiles, that five, six years ago, it wouldn't have been a problem to give them in, in smaller amounts. But because we've, we've worn down our arsenal so much in 18 months, we're in a very, very precarious situation, mm. both in the Middle East and in other parts of the world as well, too. And this is a legacy of those idiots. I've always been a proud hawk. I consider myself a hawk. But I define a hawk not by the number of times you want super intervention, whether it's massive military aid or, or our own boots on the ground. It's what is the strongest outcome for America in confronting evil that affects us. That simple. And if, if you go pedal to the metal on every last theater, which I know some of my friends have, Ukraine pedal to the metal, Sunnis pedal to the metal, Iran pedal to the metal, like you said, we're, we're exhausted. Time, talent, talent, and treasure and weaponry. I would also add to Ukraine, when you talk about the differences between Ukraine and Israel, there's a third big difference in that Ukraine, there's no ground to hold. I mean, you're not going to hold Crimea and Donetsk. There's nothing to hold there. The people are ethnically Russian, um, and, and the proof is in the pudding that we gave so much and it's gone nowhere. Whereas with Israel, I mean, you give them the weaponry they need and more importantly, stop handcuffing them and donating money to the PLO, Hamas, Lebanese Armed Forces, and then allying with Iran and Qatar, then they'll get the job done and there's stable land governed by a stable Western democracy that could hold that land. You could see your investment to the extent you believe in it. Whereas in Ukraine, even if I believe in the cause, whatever it is, there's no ground to hold. But, you know, this is where I think a lot of us have been caught between, let's say, the Nikki Haley's of the world and then this growing reaction to it, which I agree with. But sometimes they're gravitating a little bit too much into downright pacifism rather than realism. Um, and therein lies the problem. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Dan? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, one other thing I'd say about Ukraine is, is you know, uh, they, you know, we have to be honest as well, too, is that their government is highly corrupt. And the Western media doesn't like to point this out. But, you know, it's been kind of vogue the last 12 years to call anybody, uh, you know, right of center like a Nazi. But within the Ukrainian government, actual literal Nazis are gaining more and more power. Yep. You know, I, I've kind of jokingly asked my friends, but it is a serious question is I wonder who Azov battalion is, is 
rooting for an Israel Hamas fight. <laughs> um, one, one, one other quick thing I would just want to note about Hamas is Hamas and Iran effectively blo- broke off relations for 10 years. And I alluded to this earlier because Hamas uh, allied itself with the uh, so-called moderate Sunni rebels yep. in Syria, which are actually just al-Qaeda supporters. And they got kicked out of Damascus by the Assad regime. That's yep. why they're in Qatar now. And they... Biden um, brought them back. Biden made the relationship. Uh, there, there are a lot of reasons for it, but they eventually came back together. So it's funny to hear people like Nikki Haley, who supported arming the moderate Syrian rebels oh, and held gosh. them up... Now, now, like, you know, being so anti-Hamas, it's like, well, you're, you wanted to arm their friends in northwest Syria. And by the way, just one final thought, you bring up ISIS, and I just have all these things I just got to get out. Um, where are we finding most of ISIS leaders now? Oh, it's in the part of Syria that is controlled by the moderate Syrian rebels that we armed. Oh, they aren't, no. Most of them, when we killed Baghdadi, he was not in the part of Syria that Trump was trying to withdraw from. He was in northwest Syria which was controlled by the rebels that we armed and which our, our NATO ally Turkey was providing protection to. So this stuff will just, we could go on for hours. This stuff will just pull your brain apart. It's like domestic and, and policy. You to lose your mind. It's literally like our healthcare system. We create market distortions, create problems. Then everyone's poor and can't afford it. Fund more monopolies. I mean, in many respects, that's what our foreign policy is. So, I mean, that's the point. Those of us who are America first and also pro-Israel are just in a really frustrating position now because a lot of their peril and our peril was created by this stupidity. And now people like Nikki Haley rightfully complain about Iran, except the problem is they need to look in the mirror. That was an excellent point with the, you know, the Hamas stuff. And, and, and then Biden obviously made that relationship now really strong. And, and now both our government and Israel is screwed um beautiful beautifully 20 years of foreign policy dan you saw it up front and i'm really glad for your vision i want to do this more often because i think we need to give an affirmative vision on conservative foreign policy again at dan caldwell on twitter uh, center for renewing america looking forward to having you back again thanks daniel and i appreciate this conversation take care so folks there are a lot to digest from dan caldwell and and i would sense that in our gut, most right-wingers intuitively believe in, in the vision that we're laying out. It's just absent anyone articulating it, you have these false dichotomies where, you know, you have the very people who, you know, like he explained very vividly, they they created the Iranian hegemony that has screwed us and has really screwed Israel. Now they complain about Iran, and then, you know, the people that are upset at the neocons are like, well, what the heck? You know, they almost become almost like pro-Iran. And, and again, it's about making the right choices, the right alliances, the right use of statecraft and soft power. Don't blow your wad on these painful, costly military interventions. There's a lot of other things we should have been doing and certainly more often not been doing that would have put us in a better position. And now, really, he's right. I mean, you know, we have placed ourselves in a position we can't fight a war when we actually need to. And Israel also is pretty constrained in what they can do, both in terms of their capabilities and um, the amount of allies that we have united against them. Uh, but but again, it doesn't mean you stand for the wrong thing. But uh, this, is, this is what policy is all about, false choices. And it's all rooted in a lack of knowledge. And that's why at The Blaze, we are here to provide you 
with that unfiltered knowledge, no ads. So we're going to subscriber model at theblaze.com. Please subscribe today to actually create a true due north, which is what we're always trying to do, getting rid of the the interference. It, we're, we're losing a lot of money from it, but it's worth it. This is what we need to do. Get away from the Google tracking. It's not worth the money, and I'm glad to be part of a company that has slayed the beast, taken that leap of faith. Join us with that leap together at theblaze.com, and you can follow all my work there. My columns, will, by the way, will still be free. They will, will, they will not be behind a paywall, so you can always find my columns a lot easier to find than before. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.